We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hi friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 193. Okay, our guest today is so special. I think that what she is doing is so remarkable and so generous and so needed in our industry. She is the owner of The Automated Vet, which works alongside vets to help automate their business, generate more clients, and eventually generate more income so that they can live a more automated life when it comes to the things that really bog them down and get them stressed out and burned out and allow them to not only practice medicine and do what they've been trained to do, helping our horses, but also have a life and be able to be refreshed and renewed and keep doing their job well. I think that it is so needed in our industry and something that a lot of vets don't learn when they go to school and there's not a huge business portion of vet school. And so I think that our guest is just such a superstar in our industry. And I'm so thankful that she took the effort and took the risk to really narrow in on her business to help this niche within our industry. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, CEO of The Automated Vet, Lindsay Ardmore. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy lady. I would love to hear all about your business, but first give me a little rundown of how you first kind of got into the equestrian world. Yes. So my mom and my grandmother and probably my great grandmother um, have all been very horsey people. So I grew up just in the barns, always in the barns. My mom always had a off the track thoroughbred. I was Mm -hmm. always around her, even from wee little baby. Um, There's pictures of me riding when I was just itty, itty, bitty, tiny. And I have just always had a bug for horses. I did the hunters and the jumpers as a kid, because who doesn't want to jump? And then I have now transitioned into riding dressage and trying to work on my scores and moving up the levels with my current horse. So cool. At what point, I mean, was there any, any time in your life where you kind of wanted to, or thought you were going to work within the equestrian world or what did that kind of look like for you with education and then the start of your professional career? Oh my goodness. This is such a twisty road. (laughs) Let's hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I had always wanted to be an equine vet. Always, always, always. I thought that was the coolest thing. I was the kid like in between the horse's legs as they were being stitched up, watching that happen. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the entire world. Graduated high school um, and I went to Brigham Young University. And I uh, I thought I was really smart until I went to college and I was like, wow, I am not smart or maybe I'm not dedicated enough. And so I ended up going from like a biology major, which was in an attempt to hopefully get into vet school one day, yeah. um, to a wildlife conservation major, which consequently had a lot of, uh, work with wild horses because Utah has quite a few herds out there and, um, and the Delta BLM and, and all of that stuff. So I worked through college. I I did a vet veterinary proctorship first day 
of that, I go in to help support in a spaying of a cat and I fainted. And I had never had any issue with blood. I had never had any issue with anything, needles, it never bothered me. And then for some reason after that, it was like constant. I could wow. not handle the blood. And I, I don't know if it was holding open the poor little kitty. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I had to sit down with myself and I was like, Lynn, I don't think you're going to be able to do this. Like. I just really don't think you're going to be able to do this. So after years of wanting to be a vet years and years, I realized like I didn't put enough effort into my grades. I couldn't handle the blood. Like there was quite a few, uh, quite a few things. So I ended up being a little bit disappointed in that. Um, but I think all roads lead in interesting directions. So at the same time I was doing that, I was an executive assistant for a business consulting company. And I was working with hundreds of business owners every single day. And I found that that's where I really shined. And I might not have shined in organic chemistry and all the hard math and yeah. <laughs> everything like that, but I did really, really well um, at my job. And so I graduated college with a degree in wildlife duration. And I started uh, working, worked my way up at that business consulting company. I was the chief operating officer and I ended up leaving that when I had my baby. And that was quite a wild ride. And that was five years ago. I've been in the, the business, business automation, business coaching space for five years. And I had a crazy experience um, a little less than a year ago that made me full circle come back to the horse industry. Okay. Well, you have to spill. What, what <laughs> happened? Okay. So um, I mentioned I have a horse. Um, I have two horses, actually. I have a thoroughbred and I have a Welsh pony named Confetti. And my mare, she something happened. I can't remember what happened at this point. I, but I ended up putting her in my little catch pen. So I own a, um, about 10 acres. Um, most of it is a pasture and I have a couple catch pens. Well, I put her in the catch pen and something happened and she jumped out. There's a reason why she's a dressage horse because she took down the top rail and she got a finger size splinter up in her, uh, oh, gut. yeah. And, uh, I didn't notice it until the next morning. I mean, I saw that she was out, but when I saw her, she was like totally sound. Like she was fine. She was eating. Like I was like, you turd, I'll fix this in the morning. So the next morning I go out and you know, like the size of a good size avocado, there oh, was gosh. Like, this good size avocado on her girth, like <gasps> that girth area. So of course you're like, well, I got to take care of this <sighs> because I'll never be able to ride this horse, <laughs> uh. you know, selfish me. So I call my cute little vet out. My vet comes out. She takes a couple splinters out of it. She's like, you need to treat it with this and this. And like, let's just watch it. So I'm treating it and it's not really getting better, but it's going down. And finally the swelling's gone, but it's still pussing. They're still oozing. And I'm tending this thing. You know, this is, this is my baby girl. Um, I'm tending it and it's obviously something in there, but it's, I thought it was an infection. We were doing some antibiotics, you know, the whole nine. And so finally the lady I take lessons with, she comes out and she looks at it and she goes, yeah, I think there might still be something in there. And I was like, oh my goodness, there can't be, I've been pulling out splinters. She's like, if you're still pulling out splinters, there's probably something in there. Ugh. And I was like, okay. So we called her vet out. Okay. 
And her vet comes out and he ultrasounds it. He digs into it, digs in some more. Finally, we're four inches deep and he pulls out a pinky size splinter out of her gut. And he's like, well, we got it. And he stitches it back up and he hops in this truck and he like leaves. And he's like, I'll be back in two weeks. No. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm like, this is a, this is a pretty standard veterinary experience in my life. You know, like they kind of show up, they do their magic and then kind of go. And I, I was sleeping that night and I literally woke up at 2am Bethany. And I said, oh my gosh, if I could take what I do for my, my coaches and consultants in the online space, if I could take just a fraction of what I do and give that to vets, their lives would change. Their lives would absolutely change. And that's how I came for full circle back into the equestrian um, industry and into the equestrian space is by having a really crazy vet experience (laughs) (laughs) that that showed me that there are so many holes and gaps where vets are just not making the kind of money and, and handling their business in a really business oriented way. How did you go from obviously the situation where you're like, okay, clearly there's a hole that needs to be filled. Why don't I do it? Where, where did you go from that point forward as far as creating this business and, and providing the services for these things to happen? Like, What did you start offering and, and putting together? Oh, that is such a good question. So part of my... To, to back it up, to answer it just a little bit, part of my business the past five years in the, in the coaching and consulting space has very much been on the premise that there are basically three things every single business owner needs to have, whether you do it manually or automated, it just has to happen. So those three things are like attracting, right? Like attracting an audience, building an audience, selling to that audience, and then wowing that audience, right? At a very, very basic level. So I knew that vets weren't doing that. They weren't weren't attracting anybody besides people that needed them right then, unless they had started building a book of business. So I knew basically after the the light shone down on me and told me, Lindsay, you need to do this. I I knew that I needed to do something to help vets really learn how to attract you know, like how, how are you attracting and attracting comes with, how are you keeping these people top of mind? Because I live in Ocala. There's like 150 vets here. I could pick and choose between any of them any day of the week. And so how do you stay top of mind? So the first thing that I did, and this is what I tell everybody to do. If you're not quite sure about where you're going or how you want to get there or what that's going to look like, then you need to talk to your ideal client. You know, we talk like ideal client is such a mm-hmm. buzzy type of word, but really get on the phone. I called my vets. I called the vet that came out and said, Lindsay, just keep treating it. I called the vet that came out and ultrasounded her. I called my vets back home in Utah, where I'm originally from. And I started asking questions and they very clearly were saying, yeah, we don't do any of that. And I asked, would you like to have that done? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh my gosh, it would be amazing. Wow. I'm like, okay. That's, that's how, that's how I started down into it. Knowing, knowing the framework because I, because I had experienced that over, you know, my course in business, but then actually talking to my, to my, the people I wanted to serve, you know? Totally. I mean, it's such 
an interesting like micro niche with within an already niche market, but something that it's so cool because it seems like what you offer, everyone in your market can benefit from. Oh my goodness. I, I think that everyone, the, the people that I tend to serve in, in this micro niche, like you said, it is small, but I, you know what? I was just thinking like small doesn't mean, um, unworthy, right? Right. right. Like I think people kind of get into it. Cause I mean, you probably hear this stuff too. Sometimes people are like, well, it's too small. Like, mm-hmm. okay, it might be small, but they still are deserving of the information, you know? Right. Right. Um, and it still doesn't limit the possibilities of growth either. Never, never. Exactly. Like there's a, um, there's a AAEP convention. They're expecting 4,500 people to be wow. there. Do you think, do you think I could serve 4,500 people <laughs> with what I do? <laughs> I would, uh, I would probably implode. So like <laughs> growth. Exactly. I, I just think that like within this micro niche, there are, there's a difference. Oh, they like was saying like, there's a difference between, you know, the people that I predominantly serve are that solo vet, or maybe they have a couple of um, associates with them, or they're just trying to get going or they're been going, but they're, you know, kind of capped out on time and income and kind of out of prospects. Um, the people like uh, that have the big hospital on the corner and, you know, it's, you know, they've got 16 ambulatory vets, they could still benefit from this, but they have such a presence that it's not, it's not an imminent danger of them closing up shop. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, the people that I tend to serve are even smaller than, than that. And they're the ones that see the biggest lift because they are so reactive in business. I wanted to take a moment to talk about our wonderful sponsor today, The Modern Horse. If you haven't heard of them before, The Modern Horse is a seasonal subscription service which features equestrian life and style products curated for riders, horse owners, and equestrian lifestyle enthusiasts. Their feature product, The Bitbox, is mailed to subscribers each season every three months and contains five to ten products including clothing, beauty, home decor, leather goods, and more, valued at over $250 and sold in a quarterly or annual bundle subscription. As a brand, The Modern Horse seeks to provide products which feature small female-owned businesses, luxury retailers, and upcoming items to provide subscribers with something they will love in each box. So to find out more and to get your first box, visit their website at themodernhorse.com. That's themodernhorse.com. Thank you so much, The Modern Horse. All right, let's get back to the episode. Tell me like the top three pain points that your clients have or that they come to you with. Yeah. So not enough clients being an equine vet specifically. And I'm sure a lot of people in the horse industry can relate to this. They just don't have enough clients. They, they want more clients. They want to find more people. They're saying, where do I find people? I hate social media. You know, I'm not doing a TikTok. I've heard that so many times. I'm like, nobody ever talked about TikTok. Like, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> um, I, I hear that all the time. Their biggest pain point is they don't have enough clients and something that's depressing. We'll go there. Something that I find very depressing is that some of these vets come to me and they're saying, I want to make 40 grand a year take home. And I just am like, oh my goodness, you're a doctor. You know, you deserve, you deserve more, you know? And so 
that client situation is a huge one. Um, the next one is really around the right type of client and who that is and making sure that they're not, you know, doing goat medicine when they want to do, be doing like dentistry, you know, and when they're in a spot yeah. where they're kind of maybe in a more rural area or there's not a lot of people or, or there's a lot of competition. Um, a lot of my vets have, have gone and dipped into other areas that they don't want to be in. And so mentally they're getting fried and burnt out. And I mean, I'm sure every, I mean, everyone knows about like the, not one more vet thing, you know, like it is a very, very huge issue. Um, and so protecting that mental health is so important to me for them specifically. And then the last really massive pain point is that they have no idea what to do because vet school didn't talk about business, but their practices are businesses and they don't look at it like that and they don't see the potential that they have. And so I I hear a lot about, well, I just got my x-ray machine or, you know, I'm still paying off like my ultrasound or whatever that looks like, but they're not, they're, they're not creating something that's sustainable without them in it. And And honestly, they're not creating something that doesn't require them either to answer the phone or to have somebody answering the phone at all times. That's true. I mean, yeah, I think for any vet that I've worked with, they always talk about how what they lack the most is that so much of the work that really just like bogs them down is that they have to go home after a full day of working with clients and then just completely yep. have to do all of their bookkeeping and just the whole business end, which um, is not maybe their strong suit. And it's so hard because what they did all of that schooling and all of that time for um, to really develop this specific skill set that not a lot of us can do, but then they have to get so stressed and kind of burned out, like you were saying before, um, mm-hmm. to do all of this other stuff that they might not be good at, might not have time for. And well, they don't want to. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, I mean, like you don't have to do things that you don't want to do, but if you don't have the resources, then you end up doing it. And, and one of the things that's very, very common across all industries and all businesses is this concept of feast or famine. So you're constantly either feasting and overworking and overwhelmed and constantly bringing in new people. But on the flip side of that is you have to fulfill on all of that. And our sweet vets, especially equine vets, they're not like small animal. Small animal comes into the room, they leave, Mm -hmm. they come back in again and they leave. And then you get taken out the front where a receptionist upsells you in four different things, you know, in, in the equine, um, in the equine industry, there's none of that. They are the end all be all. And they're the person getting texted at two o'clock in the morning for somebody who hadn't paid their last bill. Yeah. That's, it's such a different dynamic. And the more that I'm involved and have worked with more and more vets, um, especially large animal, the more I'm like, wow, it really makes sense to me why there are always so such fewer large animal vets than mm-hmm. there are small animal. And that's like where everyone wants to go. Yes. Well, and there's such a shortage now. Mm-hmm. They talk about, they talk about rural shortages. They talk about, you know, large animal people are just not going into large animal or they're doing mixed practice because you can make a substantially more money in small animal practice. You have to, you yeah. have to do large animal because you have a love for it. 
Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's, it's so hard because it's such a, a grueling, like even, <laughs> even my vets, like I always feel so bad when I have to like text them late or like when I know mm-hmm. it's like their one day that they're trying to take off and be like, I have a question or like, can you come out? And I'm so sorry because I know for me, I mean, and granted, I don't take many days off to be completely transparent with you, not full <laughs> days off. Um, I'm always doing something. So the, the time that I do have off, I mean, it's it's precious time, right? And it's time mm-hmm. that you really just can recover and, and continue to be passionate about what you do. You need that time away from what you're doing. And it's so hard because they, you know, like some of us that are fortunate enough to love what we do on a daily basis, um, they, I mean, you see those large animal vets and they, they have to love it to keep going with it. Cause it, it just seems so grueling. It is, it is so grueling and it is kind of unappreciated, you know, like we appreciate there's good clients, there's bad clients, right. In all sure. things. Right. Yep. Um, but they do a lot and they do a lot for us and they work crazy hours and they don't make that much money. And so I even had to have a conversation with a a friend of mine who said, Oh, you don't charge them enough. Um, he was like, they have money. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like there's, there's a difference between being like a human surgeon and being an equine surgeon, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, there's just a difference and there's, that's a misconception. And so I think that's where a lot of an invisible load Um, and so loving on our vets and making sure that they feel so appreciated and helping them by being good clients, um, is something that all of us can, can do. Tell me about an area of the industry that you're very passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about, or doesn't talk that much about. Oh my goodness. I am so passionate about list building. It's not even funny. (laughs) Um, I call it, I'm going to call it prospecting. That's probably not a great word to use, but when I, when I think about, um, animal vets, I think about any, honestly, any equestrian um, business that I have known or been involved in or supported, there is a very clear lack of either understanding or know-how to build a list of prospects. And that is something that is absolutely revolutionary and life-changing, but it's not anything new. And one of the things that is really, really important, just to let me break it down is, especially in a very reactive industry, the equine industry is very reactive. We wait for phone calls. There's maybe some social media messaging and stuff happening, but it's very reactive, like picking up the phone, answering the DM. But what's not happening is there's not really a good list of prospects. There's not really a list of go-to people that you could be emailing and saying, Hey, I'm going to be in your area or, Hey, there Mm -hmm. is this thing that I have for you. There's, there's none of this stuff to keep people top of mind. And it's really, really unfortunate. And it's something that is so incredibly easy to set up and do. And people are so used to it. Think about like the Facebook ads that you see and you go and give everybody your email address, you know, like it's not that big of a deal. Right. Um, And the equine industry does not do that. And it's mind boggling to me. Um, As an example, one of our vets, she posted, um, she has like 35 followers on Facebook. She's in a brand new area. She moved across the state. She does dentistry in Cairo. So she's a little bit of a niche in a niche, right? And she posted one time, she had 15 people sign up for her email list. And she had four farm calls. 
But wow. off of that, that's thousands of dollars of revenue. Yeah. You know, like just simple, simple, simple stuff. And um, that's something that I would love for the entire equine industry to really think about is, okay, how am I building a list of prospects and what am I doing with them? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you think that there is any benefit or, or for like the future of this area within the industry? Where do you think that the online ple- uh, presence kind of lies? Um, do you feel like that, whether whether it's social media or any type of like online education or kind of like what you're saying, like building an email list and things like that, how heavy do you feel like these vets should be kind of carrying that aspect of their business? Yes. So that is such a good question. I think that it's um, only been on an uphill path and it will continue to only be on an uphill path for everybody. So building an email list is so massively huge. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I like to remind people is even if you're active on Instagram and you have a thousand followers, yay, good for you, right? You don't know any of those people. You don't have any contact information and you don't own that list. You can be right. turned off from Instagram or Facebook tomorrow. Any day now. Yeah, it doesn't. Yep. I mean, your business could like, if that's where you're getting business from, it could disappear tomorrow. So an email list is, um, it's actually equity. So in other businesses, people like data is what sells. So if you, I, I mean, I, I always talk to vets about selling and they're like, whoa, I don't know if I could do that, you know? And I'm like, oh, you could totally do that. Friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but that list is actually equity inside of the business. So I think email list building is something that is um, absolutely a requirement. And if you don't have one, it's a really good place to start in 2022. It's not difficult. I can give you guys like step-by-step, step, like not anybody can set this up. Um, it's going to be so huge. And I think it all ties into, yes, it's 2022. You need to have a Google My Business. It's really, really mm-hmm. helpful to have a Facebook page because people search on Facebook. Do you have to be so active that, you know, you're dancing around on TikTok? No, but you do need to show people <laughs> that you're alive, yeah. you know, yeah. and all of that can feed into very passively until building an email list. And right. that's what we create for people is fully automated systems. So they don't have to even touch it or think about it. Once mm-hmm. it's set up, it's done for forever. Wow. I mean, that is so cool. It's so exciting to talk to people like you who are, one, you know, so passionate about what they're doing, but two, it has um, reached a specific tiny little part of the industry that is such a, you know, like such a huge part in a sense where, where it's just like so important and really the backbone of our sport and keeping our animals healthy. And something that they like everyone in that group like so desperately needs. So it's so cool that you have found a way to target such a specific group um, and make such a difference in these vets' lives and and keep them doing what they're doing and, and helping our animals. I just think it's such a cool thing that you get to do. And I'm sure that you find a lot of joy in just doing that part of it. Oh man, Bethany, I, I do. I find so much joy and I find myself getting a little bit heated about it (laughs) because I just love it so much. I just want, I just want to make a significant difference. Mm -hmm. And especially this is totally down a rabbit hole, but 
especially since the majority of graduates from vet school are women. I think that there's something in my heart for you can be an amazing rock star, large animal vet Mm -hmm. and also be able to have the life and the family and whatever the heck it is that you, you want to have. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it's so, yeah, I mean, I think that in a lot of areas it's, it's hard, especially in the horse world. And obviously that's like the main industry that we know, but it's hard to have a family and a life outside of essentially any job within the Mm -hmm. equestrian world. It's just such a little time warp and you find yourself like, wow, like when did I have a day off? My my business coach just recently made um, a goal for this month for me to choose a day of the week and take it off. And I'm like, man, this is harder than I thought. (laughs) But it's so important and it's so hard to do because I think everyone's just trying to keep up and um, get all their work done and keep up with the person next to them. And um, sooner or later, I mean, we're working nonstop and hating our lives and, and sore and crabby and have time to do nothing that we enjoy. And so I think that um, really uh, in anything within the industry, it's so important to take a step back every once in a while and look at the reason that we got into it in the first place. And it's, I mean, almost always the the love for the animal and the, the companionship of the horse. And um, I think that that's always important to look at too. Oh my goodness. Yes. And I just think like, there's very few people who make careers out of something that they absolutely are soul connected to. Right. You know, horses are a, they're, they're not like something you, there's that quote, they're not something you pick up and put down. They're like in ingrained in you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if what the quote is, but it's something like that. Everyone's heard it, I'm sure. <laughs> um, it's so true that horses are not something that you pick up and put down. So when you make a career out of it, it's really easy to get into. I mean, that's like, that's like a soul. That's like a soul business. Oh yeah. You know, like it's, it is so much deeper even than like just what I do because I don't, while I love supporting my vets, I also am not a vet you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, but so. I mean, I think it's still a huge part of you. I mean, it'd be one thing if you were working with an industry that you aren't a part of, but obviously it's a huge asset and a big part of your career and, and why you work within the industry is because you yourself are an equestrian. So um, that in that regard, I mean, I'm sure you resonate with them a lot. Oh my goodness. I think it's my way of being in the vet industry without being a vet without having to deal with blood or with shots or having to faint. (laughs) It's much safer for you. (laughs) I can't believe that happened to me. I just was like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Um, Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with me and and hear about your life. I think what you're doing is so amazing and I can't wait to, um, you know, have this episode come out and have people hear about it because I can think of so many vets that would really, really be excited for having some of the support. So I really thank you for taking the time to find an area of the industry that really could use that support and fill that need. I think it's really amazing. Oh, thank you, Bethany. I so appreciate the time. This has been so fun. 
All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.